So we are in this uh, the middle of a series, Relationship Goals. And, uh, you know, February is the month of love, right? And so we, were, we decided to, to have this series this month to talk about relationships. Last week, we, we teed it off with uh, talking about intimacy with God and, a close, and how God desires a close personal relationship with you. And, uh, we, you know, we strategically started with that because we believe that, that every relationship in our life is springboarded off of our relationship with God. If your relationship with God is, is, is good and you're pursuing him, we believe that he helps us in all of our other relationships. And uh, how many of you know we were created to be in relationship? And not only created to be in relationship, but we're created to thrive in our relationships. And it's such a privilege and an honor to know that God designed us for that, that we're not designed to be alone. You know, I said last week, somebody made the comment one time that, you know, you can live alone, but you can't thrive alone. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe that God designed us to be in relationship with one another. In fact, there's a couple verses that have been kind of my text over this series, and I'm going to read them each week. And I want to read them to you today as well. The first one is out of Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. It says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who, has fall, who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So God has designed us to be in relationship together. Two is better than one. And that's a, that's a powerful thing. And it's a, uh, to know that that's God's plan for us is so important for us to grasp that because, you know, I, I said it last week, some of us are extroverts and we just love being around people and it's easy because that's, that's our heart anyway. But for those that are introverted and, and need their alone time, that's not, a, that's not a license to say, well, you could just isolate yourself and be alone because that is not what God planned. In fact, he even told Adam this, uh, or he said this when, after he created Adam in Genesis 2.18, it's my other text verse for the month. It says that the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, what I mentioned last week, and I wanna reiterate again, is the significance of this verse is that, you know, this was before the fall, okay? Adam had not sinned yet. And so he was, he was having communion with God all the time. He, there was no separation because of sin. And so he was walking with God, talking with God. And even God said that it's not good for him just to be in relationship with me. Now, I do believe it's significant that his first relationship was with God, but he's saying, that's not, that's not, it's not good. This is the first time in all of creation that God said something he created wasn't good because he saw the, the fact that man needed a helper. And this, this verse isn't just about marriage. We use it for marriage all the time and it's appropriate for marriage, but it's not just about marriage because if it were, then all we'd have is just marriages everywhere. There wouldn't be any other relationship except the husband and wife, but there's all kinds of relationships in each one of our lives. So this was not just about that, that, things, that marriage specifically, this was about us being better when we're not alone. And, uh, and that's God's heart for us. So. Um, that's what this whole series is predicated on, is that God has created us to thrive in relationships. And we're in the second week now. Today, I'm actually gonna talk about singleness and marriage and, uh, and thriving in those, those uh, relationships in our life. And then next week, we're gonna talk about living in community. We're gonna be talking about you know, our relationships with, with our coworkers, our friends, our, our church friends, and, and people that we don't have as much contact with on a daily basis, but, but how we're designed to live in, the, in community together. And then the last week, really excited about that. I told you guys last week, um, the, the, the two weeks from today, we're gonna actually have a panel up here on the stage. This is something we don't, I don't know if we've done this before at New Hope or not, but we're excited about it. We're gonna have uh, certified relationship experts up here on the stage. And uh, that's actually a bit of an exaggeration, but 
that we're, we're believing that they're going to be experts. Amen. And uh, we're going to have some people that, that have lived through a lot of situations. And we're going to have them up here. And we want you guys to text in your questions to us. We started last week. We actually got a bunch of questions texted in this week. And um, we were actually talking about them in staff meeting and having some fun with them and trying to figure out, you know, what the right answer is to some of them. Because sometimes you, you need some time to figure these things out because not every, uh, not every question has an easy answer when it comes to relationships. Amen. And so uh, what, I want you to, what we want you to do is over the next few weeks, just feel free. Anytime you have a question about relationship, anything. Feel free to text it in. They're going to have that number up on the screen. That's the number to text it to. You can, you can text during church. We'll give you an exception for the next couple of weeks, okay? Typically, we encourage you not to text during church, but for the next couple of weeks, you can. And, uh, and during the week, too, this number is active 24-7 right now. So please take advantage of that. And we're really looking forward to that last Sunday here. And uh, we think it's going to be a good time. And, and by the end of February, we're all going to have 100% healthy relationships. Amen? Glory to God, right? Okay, so today, though, I am going to talk to you about marriage and singleness. And, uh, you know, we mentioned the, the couple's encounter. Kel and, and Jessica mentioned the couple's encounter earlier. Uh, I'm not going to be able to touch on everything, obviously, in one message. So hopefully this will whet your appetite a little bit. Please, please consider doing the couple's encounter. It was so great last year. I think we had about 60 couples. We're looking for probably about that many again this year. It's so great. It's um, uh, every, every feedback we got from it was was very, very positive. And some marriages were really even healed during that time, but it's not just for marriages that are struggling. It's for all of us. So take advantage of that because we're only gonna touch on it today. Um, but, but in regards to marriage and singleness, you know, some of you, if I, if I would speak to the married people here, some of you uh, might be in such a tough situation in your marriage, you might ask yourself, is it even possible to have a great marriage? And I would say emphatically that the answer is yes. Without question, it is possible to have a great marriage. However, it's not likely if you're gonna do marriage the way society does it. It's, it's not likely. We know the, the divorce rate, everybody knows the statistic now because it's thrown around a lot, it's 50%. Almost every marriage, it's basically a coin flip for a lot of, a lot of marriages that, that, end, that are gonna end in divorce. And the, the sad thing is the di- there's, not any, there's not a differentiation between the church and the non-Christians. There's just as much divorce in the church. And that tells me that we are not doing marriage the way this thing tells us to. And if we will follow the blueprint that God gave us, he gave us this as a tool to help us to have a great marriage. And, but we have to be intentional about it. So I'm gonna talk about some keys, I believe, to, to having a great marriage today. But I'm also gonna talk to the singles. And, and I would ask you today, some of you may, may be uh, feeling depressed by being single. That's a, that's a very real feeling at times. And some of you babies may be struggling with, with being lonely while you're single. And so you may, ask the, or you may ask the question, is it possible to really thrive while being single? And again, my answer would be an emphatic yes. It's absolutely possible to thrive while being single. However, it's not likely with that either if you're gonna do it the world's way. If you approach singleness the way the world approaches singleness, you, you will have some ups and some downs and some highs and lows, but eventually it's gonna bite you because the world's way of being single is not the way God had intended it. And so we can look at the word of God and even see how God talks about being single. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to the singles first for the first half of my message this morning. And then the, the last half we'll talk about marriage. I would encourage you, you know, if you're married, don't tune me out at the beginning because I have some encouragement for the married people in the house too in regards to the single people. And when I talk about to the married as singles, don't tune me out because most of you probably wanna be in that position one day and it's good to build some foundation before you have to even walk into that, right? I'm a, I was a builder. And so I know if you, if you wanna have a good, building, you got to build a good foundation. So we're going to help you with some of that today too. So we'll start with uh, talking to the singles. 
And um, what I would ask you today, since our series is called Relationship Goals, I would ask you today, what is your goal as a single person? What is your goal? Maybe you don't even think about it, but maybe, maybe when you do think about it, you think your goal is to get married. And for a lot of you, that's probably the case. And I would say it's, it's okay to wanna be married. That's something that God has put in us. Obviously, if he didn't put the desire to get married in any of us, the world would be extinct in one generation. So that's a, that's a thing that comes from God. But I wanna challenge you today that that cannot be your main goal as a single person to just wanna get married. Because what that does is it causes you to feel like you're not, uh, you're basically in a holding pattern, you know? Like you're not really living now, you're just kinda trying to get through until you can get to that place where you can really live. And you know, if you've ever been in a holding pattern in an airplane where because you couldn't land for whatever reason, it's pretty monotonous, you know? You're just circling around the airport and waiting for that opportunity to land. And if we're not careful, if our goal is just to get married, then we, we live our whole single life being in a holding pattern and not really applying ourselves, not really trying to do anything because we're just kind of waiting for that person to come along to where we can actually step into what we think will be uh, the landing pattern or the landing platform. Um, and I, wanna, I just wanna encourage you guys today that as, as single people that I'm not here to just pander to you, to the singles. Um, I don't want you to feel like I'm just throwing you a bone and wanting to mention it because we're talking about marriage and I don't want you to feel left out. That's not what I'm doing today, okay? I, I really have a heart for the single people in this church because whether you're single and never been married, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, for whatever reason you're single, I, I, those of us that are married have been there. And we, we know how it feels at times to be single and, and I wanna be sensitive to that because, um, because I believe that you can thrive in being single. I believe that's God's plan for you is to thrive. So I'm not gonna throw out those scriptures that, you know, that married people seem to always give single people like, well, you know, Paul said it was better to stay single. I'm not gonna talk about that one. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna mention that it's in 1 Corinthians 7 verses eight and nine. You know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna beat you over the head with that one to say that you should only get married if you're gonna burn with lust. Oh, you wanna get married? Well, you just must be full of lust then. You know, we're not gonna do that today. Um, I'm kind of messing with you, but I, I'm actually serious. I know those verses, you know, where it talks about Jesus when he said, you know, that, that uh, if you could accept this word, you know, to stay single, it's better. Um, those verses aren't always helpful for the single people. You know, like, I, well, it's easy for you to say that it's better for me to be single, you're married. You know, so why aren't you, why aren't you following the scriptures? So I don't just wanna throw verses at you about, because I'm sure as a single person, if you want to be married, I'm sure you've heard those verses plenty of times and they're real, they're in the word of God. So it is real, but, uh, but there's a time and a place for everything, right? And that's not my goal today is try to convince you why you should be single. I want, what I wanna do is encourage you that you can thrive while you're being single, okay? And so let me just start by, by saying that, that we all know that life is all about seasons. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, that whole chapter is about, you know, a season for everything. And the first verse, it says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And I, what, what we have to look at with singleness is to know that for the most part, it is a season. And the, the great thing about seasons is they all have a beginning and they all have an end. And so if we can approach our life, uh, the, the single season of our life as a season, then that's when we can thrive. If we feel like, if we feel hopeless, then that's when we kind of, we, we don't thrive so much. We're kind of just maintaining and trying to get through life, right? But, but what singleness is, is, is actually, it's actually a season of our life that God has designed for you to be able to thrive. And there's some, there's some advantages that you actually have as a single person that are, there's no question that we have some advantages. I know the first thing I noticed, one of the first things I noticed after I got married was that uh, my time was not my own anymore. Amen, can I get an amen in the house from the, from the married people? You know, if you're doing it right, okay? 
if you're doing marriage right, your time is not really your own anymore. You might have a few minutes. And then when you have kids, you realize you have no time. It's all taken up. You know, you, you get lucky if you could just get a, get a free minute to go to the bathroom, you know? And so Tony and Haley are figuring that out right now, right? You don't, your sleep's not your own. You don't even get your own sleep time, you know? And so the, the, the advantage of being single is that you have, you have that time to be able to invest it in, in ways that the Lord wants you to, if you're, if you're willing to look at it that way. Um, and so what I wanna do today, I, want, I just wanna make three statements, okay, that, that I wanna try to encourage all the single people in the house and the, the ones watching online or watching videos later down the road. I wanna encourage you with three statements. And the first one is that you are complete and whole. Okay, let me say it again. You are complete and whole just the way you are. Okay, a lot of us have probably seen the movie Jerry Maguire from back in the late 90s. We don't admit it as Christians that we saw it, but most of us did. Um, I saw it on, on TV, so I didn't see it in the movie theater. I heard it was actually kind of rough, but I saw the pure version, um, the purer version, I should say. And so, but, but we, you know, that's kind of an iconic movie, you know, the, the romantic comedy that, you know, Tom Cruise marries Renee Zellweger and they have a strained marriage throughout the movie. And at the end, he comes into her house, you know, and he, he tells her, he says, you complete me. And, you know, he's real passionate and his hair's, you know, draped over his eye and he's real cute. And it's all, you know, all the girls are oohing and on and crying. And, and uh, you know, Renee Zellweger says, shut up, shut up. You had me at hello. You know, we've all heard that phrase. We all heard it. It's a token phrase in, in our culture today. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie or heard of it, don't worry about watching it because Jerry Maguire is a fraud. Okay. I'm here to tell you today that he's a fraud. When he said, you complete me, that, that's something that does something to our heartstrings. It pulls our heartstrings. It's like, oh, she completes him. She fills that hole in his heart and it's so perfect. And, you know, three minutes later, the credits are rolling and they just, you just know they're just riding off into the sunset and having a great life from then on. When and married people know that when their credits roll, that's when the work started for them, right? But nobody can complete another person. Okay, that's the statement I wanna to make to you today. If you're looking for someone to complete you, you are off track because you are a complete person all by yourself, okay? Now I get it, in marriage, a husband and wife can compliment each other a lot, you know? Uh, I've been married 16 years. I, I believe I have a great marriage and my wife, Joy, compliments me a lot. She makes me a better person. She's worked really, really hard to make me a better person, amen? And I think she's done a pretty good job personally, but. Uh, but that's what we do. We make each other better, but we don't complete each other. I was a complete person. If, if she completed me, that means the first 27 years of my life were worthless. And that's not true. She doesn't, she, nobody can complete another person. And so you are complete and whole just as you are. And it's okay to want somebody to compliment you and to help make you a better person if it's functioning well, but don't believe the lie that you are only a partial person or that you're not a complete contributor to society because you don't have that significant other that you can hang out with and spend the rest of your life with, okay? Amen, praise God for that, huh? But see, this is what society is telling people is that, you know, the romantic comedies, I mean, you know, I'm a guy, so I'm already a little predisposed to hate them, but a lot of, a lot of women love them. My wife loves them, the clean ones, right? Only the clean ones. Uh, and, and a lot of men love them too. Sometimes they're fun. I've watched a few that I've thought were fun, but what it does, it creates this whole thing of like, you know, through the whole movie, the the, the person that is gonna fall in love by the end of the movie, you know, they're, they're just showing all that's wrong with their life because they don't have that person in their life. And it just, the, our Hollywood just feeds that for us. And that's just not the way it is. 
You know, we are, we are complete. We are, we are just as productive in society. We are just as whole as any married couple out there. And have, in fact, have a lot of uh, privileges and advantages before we get married. And so don't believe the lie that society would tell you that you're not whole before you get married. The second statement that I wanna make to you today is that loneliness and singleness are not synonyms. They are not synonyms. Loneliness is not exclusive to singleness. In fact, lots and lots and lots of married people are very lonely. And there's lots and lots of single people that aren't lonely. Okay, so just because you're single does not equate to being lonely. Okay, sometimes it does. Sometimes single people will say that they're lonely. They, they feel like they're missing that companionship in their life. And I, and I get that, that's a, that's a very real thing. But it, it doesn't necessarily mean just because you are single that, you're gonna, that you have to be lonely uh, because it all has to do with relationship for us. You know, the, the tendency that, I, that we see sometimes, especially with, with single people is that if uh, uh, their friends start getting married, and they're not married yet, the tendency is to start feeling like, oh no, I'm, I'm lonely. You know, I'm gonna be lonely because all my friends are getting married. And it's important during times like that that we don't isolate ourselves. You know, we don't pull away from everybody and, and start feeling sorry for ourselves and we don't separate ourselves because that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to isolate yourself. He wants you to, to separate yourself from relationship with others because when we're isolated, we're more vulnerable to him. And the last thing we need to do is isolate ourselves. We need to continue to, to be diligent and intentional about putting ourselves in a relationship with others. And if you gotta find new friends, because all your friends are getting married, then, then you gotta find new friends. But we need to work at it and make sure we don't succumb to that lonely feeling because loneliness, we all know, is a very, very powerful feeling, amen? Very powerful feeling. When we feel lonely, it can cause us to do things we wouldn't normally do. For instance, a lonely Single people are very, very prone to going out and just going out with anybody just so they don't have to be lonely. And they end up, you end up starting to trying to fill that void of loneliness and you end up having sex with somebody that you should not have sex with, right? You just kind of put yourself out there because you're just looking to fill that void, that loneliness. And what happens is you're creating a soul tie with that person. You know, sex is meant to be a very bonding thing. It's a bonding thing. It's something God intended for marriage. But when we, when we uh, participate in that outside of marriage, it actually becomes bondage. What's meant to be bonding becomes bondage because we're, in, we're indulging in it outside of that union. I, I can tell you guys today, I don't believe one second in the term casual sex. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing. There's no way because the way God has designed it, it is such an intimate union that anytime, any partner you have, you are having a soul bond with that person. Whether you realize it at the time or not, there's a bond there. And it can be so difficult to break that bond and to break that soul tie. I've seen it over and over again with family members of mine, with, with friends that have, that have just struggled with it. And they just, they keep going back to that same situation and, and they wanna get away from it, but they just can't. They feel like they're on a rubber band and they're just constantly being pulled back into it. It's because there's a soul tie there. And breaking those soul ties is not easy, but that's what loneliness will lead us to sometimes. It'll cause us to kind of get in those situations that we would have never thought a year earlier that we would ever do something like that. But then all of a sudden here we are. And then once it's done, then, then we have all those to deal with. So that's what loneliness will do to us. And it, it'll also cause you, sometimes some people take the next step of in that going beyond just having sex and with anybody just so they can fill that void to actually marrying somebody that they know is not the right person for them. And I can tell you any, anybody that's married, somebody that they knew was not the right person for them, that they, where they settled, Anybody that's done that will tell you single is better than settled. 
without question, 100% of the time, single is better than settled because marriage, a good marriage is hard work. It is a lot of work. Uh, Joy and I just have a natural chemistry and connection. We enjoy each other. We're both pretty laid back, easy going. We just have fun together. But I can tell you that it is a lot of work. And so, and that's when it's good. That's when it's somebody that I know was the person that I wanted to be with. I had no question in my mind. And when I, when we, on our wedding day and I saw the doors open and she actually came through, I was so excited and relieved just because I wasn't sure if that was hundred percent on her mind. So uh, I'm thankful that she came down the aisle. Amen. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but it's, but even with that, it's hard. And so if you marry somebody that you're not, that you know, isn't the best for you, how much harder is it going to be? And that's why we have so many marriages that can be so difficult for so many people. And so don't settle just because of that lonely feeling, because that lonely feeling is strong. But we can fight that lonely feeling by keeping ourselves in relationship and being intentional and, and diligent and strong and not wavering in that and making sure we don't isolate ourselves. Okay, so the third statement that I'd like to make to you today, make the most of this season. Like I said earlier, this is a season for each and every one of you. It's a season and it's okay to hope. Like we wanna make sure we have that hope that, that this is a season. For those of you that want to be married, some of you may be totally content in being single and you're just, you're good with it. I have an aunt that's 82, I think now. She never got married. She was content with it her, her whole life. She never, it was never a big desire of her. She felt like God called her some, to some things and she was content in her in being single. So. You know, and she is absolutely not a, a second-class citizen or, or an afterthought. She's, she is a powerful warrior for the Lord, but it's what God called her to specifically. So if you're there, that's fine too. But if you want to be married, you can enjoy this season and have hope in this season because you know that God is preparing you. Take this time to allow God to prepare you, to raise you up, to, to not make the same mistakes that maybe some of the other people you've seen make. You know, learn from other people's mistakes and, and allow God to make you somebody. If you want to have a godly marriage, then be a godly person. Use this time to make yourself a student of the word. You know, somebody that's, that's godly, that's pursuing God, going after God. Because if you want to marry somebody like that, then you need to be that yourself, right? And so I want to make sure that I, I just relay to you that while we're waiting, that we seek God first. Okay, there's a verse in, uh, in Matthew 6, 31 and th through 34. It says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And what I love about this verse is that he didn't just tell us not to worry. He didn't just say, no, nah, stop worrying about all this stuff. And I realize in this verse, he's talking about clothes and food, but this verse covers the gamut. It covers everything in our life, everything that, that we would worry about. If you're worrying about whether or not you're ever gonna get married, that's covered in this verse. What he's saying is here, he's not just saying, don't worry, you know, just stop worrying. He's not saying that. What he's saying is you can replace that worry with seeking me. Use your energy instead of using that energy to worry, use it to seek me. And you can trust that if you do that, that I'll add all these things to you. It's a wonderful, wonderful promise from our God that he'll add those things to us as we seek him and as we trust him. So we can seek him first in every area of our life. This isn't just for singleness. This is for any area that we would want to worry, that we would have this lean towards worrying. He's saying, don't worry about it. Seek me and I'll make sure that these other things are added unto you as well. And we can live victorious with this formula. 
So one final word um, about single people that I wanna just mention to the, to the married people in the house, okay? I, I spent some time, at, I asked quite a few single people, um, you know, what their feeling is, like how they're regarded in the church. Uh, because, you know, I've been married 16 years, so it's easy to forget some of the, some of the things you may have felt um, or what may have been going through back then. So I've asked a number of single people and what I've heard almost across the board was that they feel like um, they're, they're, they're perceived in the church sometimes as second-class citizens. Like they're, they're not as important because they haven't arrived yet because they haven't found that significant other because they're not married. They're not as important maybe, or they're just not quite as, uh, um, they're not as valuable in the church. Now, no one has said that somebody has actually said that. We would never say that to someone, but that's, that's the perception. You know, sometimes you have, you know, you might have somebody that, that comes up to a single person and says, oh, how old are you? Oh, you're still single? Oh, well, don't worry. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure God will bring somebody to you. You know, he's just, something, it's, it's gonna happen for you. Just don't worry, just pray and believe. And it's okay, you know, and, and we start pitying people that are single. Like it's something they need to be cured from, you know? Singleness is not something to be cured from, amen? And what we need to do as a church, as married people, what we should be doing is elevating the single people. What we should be doing is making them know, letting them know, letting them feel like they are just as important as anybody else. Because what I said first is that they are whole. They're just as whole as we are as married people. And so we need to make sure they know that they are just as valuable here as any married person. Amen. And we need to elevate them. Yes, praise God. And let's not, let's not pity them. And, and, you know, if you don't have a relationship with a close, tight relationship with somebody that's single, you know, don't, don't, don't extend pity. That's, that's not helpful. You know, I mean, if it's somebody you're very close to and they, they open up to you about it, fine. But, but uh, let's just make sure we're not, you know, saying, ooh, how, ooh if you want to have kids, you better get married soon. I mean, people hear that. I, I heard that from single people in this church that have had people say that to them. I'm like... Why would you say that to them? They know they need to have, they, they, if they want to have kids, they got to do it within the next 10 years, you know? So, so let's just be cognizant of that. Let's be aware of that as married people in the church. And let's make sure we're doing everything we can do to encourage, elevate, edify, and lift up the single people in this church. And if need be, sometimes keep our mouth shut. Amen. All right. So let me talk to you, the married people now, okay? I'm going to take the rest of my time and, and, uh, and give some keys that I believe are, are, uh, are good to help us have strong marriages. And, and so I would ask you as, as married people today, what is your goal in marriage? Um, do you have a goal? Do you have goals set in your marriage, whether it's written down or whether it's even just in your head? You know, if your goal is just to not get divorced or your goal is that your spouse would just leave you alone sometimes, that, those aren't great goals. Um, hopefully our goal would be that we could thrive in our marriages, amen? We are designed to thrive in marriage. Marriage is such a strong tool that the Lord uses to defeat the enemy and defeat his kingdom. Uh, Proverbs 18, 22 says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. What a great verse. I can testify to that. I found what is good and I've received a lot of favor from the Lord because of my marriage. And I'm so thankful for that. that and that's the word of God telling us that when we find a wife, we find a good thing. And when our marriage is working, we're finding favor from God from that. And that's a, it's a powerful thing for us. I, some of you might, I, I said something earlier that some of you may say, you know, you just don't know if it's possible to have a great marriage because maybe you've just been struggling for so long and, uh, and your marriage has just never been something that's really been thriving. I, I wanna tell you again, it's absolutely possible, but we have to do it God's way. We have to do it God's way. 
If, if you're good with the 50-50 coin flip shot of having a good marriage, then keep doing it the, the way the society does it. But if you wanna do it and you wanna know that you can thrive, we have to do it God's way. So let me give you three keys to a great marriage. And the first one is the principle of one. We have to understand the principle of one. This is what, this is, what is said about Adam and Eve, right after Adam and Eve or in Genesis 2, I believe, we're God talking about the, the principle of one and Paul reiterates it in Ephesians. And I'm gonna read that one in Ephesians 5, 31 to 33. Paul says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and his wife and the wife must respect her husband. Now, this is not really taught in society. This, this principle of one that is referred to in the Bible on a few occasions of actually the, the two coming together and becoming one. I mean, it might be in the vows, even in a, you know, a, a non-Christian wedding ceremony, but it's not really taught that you actually become one because becoming one, it says a lot more than just having this union. It's not just about sex or the physical aspect of it. It's a spiritual component to it of where we actually become that you're, you're no longer your own anymore. In fact, it's similar. There's a lot of similarities between this and what salvation actually entails. You know, when we get saved, Jesus says that you, you're supposed to die to yourself. You're supposed to give yourself to him. That you're not, your life is not your own anymore, the word of God says, when you get saved. Well, it's, it's very similar in marriage. When you, if, you take, if you take the marriage vow the way God has intended it, you know that your life is not your own anymore. I, I was just kind of joking earlier about how, you know, your time isn't your own because you have somebody else that's vying for your time with you that, that feels like they deserve it and vice versa. You both deserve time with each other. And so you, re, you have to realize that your life is not your own. And, and what this, this verse here is saying is that the two shall become one. What I noticed in that verse is the word become. It says to become one. Well, that implies that it's not necessarily something that happens immediately. When we become something, becoming takes some time. Now, when we get married, I believe spiritually, we're one instantly. I believe God's word is clear on that, that we become one under God, right? But the actual part of the, the, the human side of becoming one, that's real too, but that doesn't happen immediately. And it doesn't usually take very long to figure out that that's not real easy. I, I was telling a story in the first service of when uh, Joy and I, when we got married, we went right away, we went on our honeymoon and we were gone for a couple of weeks. We came back and our first night back in our, in our home as a married couple, uh, once we got back from our honeymoon, I remember sitting down and, and I grabbed the remote, I turned on the TV and I turned it to the sports center and I was sitting there watching sports center and Joy was sitting there beside me and all of a sudden I'm feeling heat radiate from over here. <laughs> I felt like it was coming from her eyeballs, you know? And I tried to ignore it, but you know, it just wouldn't go away. So I finally said, what, what's going on, what's wrong? And she said, nothing. Which, <laughs> man, you know, when they say nothing like that, there's something every single time. And um, I said, no, what's, what's going on? She said, well, I, I just, I, I'm not, I don't wanna watch sports. Like, you know, this is my house too, not sport. I hate sports. I didn't grow up with brothers or we didn't watch sports in my house. I don't wanna watch sports. And I said, well, honey, we just got married. We're one now. You have to like what I like. <laughs> and she said, well, then you have to like black and white movies. And I said, well, there's a difference. Black and white movies are lame. As you can imagine, we had a discussion that evening and, um, and I realized, you know, pretty quickly that just because we loved each other and we were married now, didn't mean all of a sudden everything was just gonna be like 
She wasn't just all of a sudden gonna love sports and all the things I liked. And I wasn't gonna just all of a sudden love watching black and white movies and going to the mall. In fact, I still don't like either of those things. And she's actually grown to like sports. I wore her down. So chalk one up for the guys in the house, right? Finally. Um, but, but becoming one takes time. It's a lot of hard work. You know, Meredith and Josh in their video, Meredith said like marriage is work. It's hard. I mean, it's easy to glamorize it and make it sound, seem like it's just all, you know, candy canes and, and balloons all the time, but it's just not. If you're gonna have a good marriage, if you're gonna have a great marriage, you show me a great marriage, I'll show you two people that work their tails off every day. You can't even take a day off of marriage if you want it to be great. I believe that with all my heart. And I, I've said it earlier, I believe Joy and I have a great marriage. People that are close to us and know us know that we love to be together. We're best friends. We spend free time together. It's not, I don't have to give her a little bit of time to, to meet my quota and get her off my back. We, we love being together. We, that we don't wanna be with anybody else more than we wanna be with each other. But that's not just something that just happened because we got married and decided, well, we're one now, so it's just gonna work. You know, we've had to work at it. We've had a lot of disagreements. We've had plenty of heated fellowship, okay? But, but when we do, we work through those things. We come together in those things and we say, okay, let me, I see your side, now you see my side. And we, we come together, but we work. We don't just, you know, have a big fight and call each other names and separate, go our separate ways for a day. And then just, you know, the next day see each other and act like nothing happened. We work hard at our marriage. And, and I believe that's why it is so great. But becoming one is not something that just happens. And to bring unity in our marriages through that is something that, that takes a lot of work. And there was a, a few, there's three things that I thought about with, with bringing unity in our marriage that, that just jumped out at me. And the first one is communication. It's so important that we communicate. You know, I, we, I committed to, you know, women typically need more face time with their husband than husbands do wives. For whatever reason, you know, Pastor Bowen says women use twice as many words in a day as men, I think. That's just the way God wired them. And, and wired men to not need to talk as much. It's, it's no, one's not better than the other, but we have to be, we have to know that kind of stuff so that we can work together. So I, we make sure we have time together every day where we kick the kids out of the room and say, go away. Like, I don't, we don't want you right now. You know, you're, you're orphans for 10 minutes, you know? And, um, and, and so we, we make sure we spend time together communicating. That's something you have to do is communicate. We, we hear wives say all the time, you know, man, we were dating my, he talked all the time. And we got married and all of a sudden he can't talk anymore, you know? And so we have to make sure we're diligent to communicate. And then the second one was to forgive. I, I believe, I'm gonna make a statement. I believe that resentment and unforgiveness is one of the top two or three killers of marriages without question. Um, and, and if you guys know the passage, we've, we've talked about here plenty, the, the passage of Matthew where Jesus gives the parable of the unmerciful servant and the, the servant that would not forgive the other servant's debt, even though he'd been forgiven this huge debt. And what it says is that the tormentors were released to torment this guy. And, uh, and the same will be with you if you do not forgive. Uh, there's no question in my mind that when we hold resentment and bitterness against our spouse, maybe it's for something that happened yesterday, maybe it's something that happened 10 years ago, and we just hold that resentment and bitterness that we release the tormentors into our marriage. And some of, you are being some of you would say, that kind of describes my marriage. I feel like it's tormented. It may be because of resentment and unforgiveness. You know, we're, Jesus said, we don't have any excuse to not forgive ever. No matter how big they messed up, no matter what they did, big or small, we do not have grounds to not forgive and to not release and, and come back together. So we have to make sure we're always forgiving each other. And how many, you know, in marriage, 
I, you have to forgive all the time. I was joking actually between services. Joy has to forgive me a few times a day, you know, just for silly stuff I do. So it's, it's just a constant. You don't forgive once and then all of a sudden everything's good. Sometimes you have to forgive hourly or three, four times a day if we have to, but we got to keep that out front and know and be diligent about that. Let's speak life into our marriages. And then the last one is money. We have to be unified in the area of money. And this is something you could do a whole series on just this, because you know, money, money problems is the number one cause for divorce in the world. Hands down, I don't even know what's second. It's number one by far because, because there's money strains and they, they just can't come together and be unified when it comes to spending and saving money. You know, most marriages have a spender and a saver. That's, that's tip, very, very typical. And you know, the savers have to be willing to spend a little bit and the spenders have to be willing to save a little bit. We gotta come together and be unified and talk about how we're gonna spend our money and what we're gonna do with it and, and, uh, and how we're gonna save it and, and have a plan, you know, so we can be unified together. All right, and then this, the second key, and I'm, I'm moving quickly here. The second key is to identify the enemy of your marriage. I want everybody to, to, to look at me. Your spouse is not your enemy. Amen? Your spouse is not your, the enemy in your marriage. The enemy in your marriage is Satan. He has launched an all-out assault on marriages from day one. It took about two verses in the Bible of the first marriage for him to attack that marriage. And he's attacked every single marriage ever since then, without fail. Your marriage is under attack by the enemy, without question. It may not always feel like it. There may be, you know, maybe you go through seasons where, where things are really great, you know, but the enemy is always waiting for that opportunity to pounce and to jump in. Always, always, always looking for that opportunity. Church, we are in a war. We would all agree. As believers, we are in a war for souls. There's no question. You, you may have never served in Iraq, Afghanistan. You've never even served in the military, maybe. But I promise you, you are in a war. And the enemy is very much armed and ready for battle. And if we're not, then all we're doing is letting him beat on us and half the time we don't even realize it. We think that it's just, that it's our spouse sometimes. You know, they're, that, she's the enemy, he's the enemy. They're, they're the ones fighting it. I can't, we can't have a good marriage because he keeps doing this or she keeps doing that. When really the enemy in your marriage is the enemy, Satan himself. And the thing about Satan and, and the way he attacks us is, is, is that he's so cunning. The Bible talks about him being cunning. It talks about him being like a lion seeking who he may devour. You know, lions are like the best hunters in all the animal kingdom. They are known for being able to get right up on top of their prey without the prey even knowing it until it's too late. That's exactly how the enemy chooses to attack us. He never makes it blatant. It's never, no one's ever seen the devil. You know, we got all kinds of drawings of the devil. He's got horns, a pitchfork and a tail with a point because nobody knows what he looks like because he doesn't show himself because he's too good. And he would never in your marriage, he's never going to usher in if you're a guy and your, your marriage is struggling and you feel like your wife doesn't, doesn't uh, appreciate you and doesn't respect you and just always nags you and whatever. He's never gonna just walk up this beautiful lady and say, hey, I got this lady here. I thought you might like her better. You know, she's real pretty. She, uh, she'll listen to you. She thinks you're the greatest thing she's ever met. She loves, she wants to talk to you. She wants to tell you how wonderful you are. You know, she'll cook for you. She won't make you take her out on dates, you know, and she loves to hop in the sack. So this is the one you need. He'll never do anything like that. That person will still come into the situation, but it'll, it'll, make, it th it'll make us think it's us. Make us think, you know, that, that, well, this is just a good situation because my, my wife doesn't treat me right. I finally found someone that did. I've even heard people say that they married the wrong person. So God brought somebody else into their life and this is their real soulmate. So I got to divorce this woman so I can be with this one. 
I've heard God, people actually use God as a reason for doing this kind of stuff. Now you tell me the enemy's not good at messing with us. That's how good he is. He'll make us think God's causing us to sin. So that's how he works. And we have to be aware of that in our marriages. We have to stay, we have to put our armor on every day. Paul talks about putting on the armor of God. We have to do it every day because like I said, the enemy knows we're in a war. You may not know it, but he does. And he wants you not to know it because he loves that because then you're just easy prey for him. So we have to be willing to take a stand and fight for our marriages and fight and know. And the reason he attacks marriages so much is because we're so much stronger together. That verse I read in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. And we are, we are more powerful against the enemy when we are united in the bonds of marriage because marriage is an institution that God designed. So let's be cognizant, let's be aware that the enemy is coming against us and wanting to destroy us. It's crazy because if, if I were to ask people in here to raise your hand, whoever, who in here is planning on having an affair in their marriage, I don't think any hands would go up. None of us plan that. No one says, yeah, you know, I think I'm gonna get married and a couple of years into that, I'll probably, you know, have a good time with somebody else for a little while. Nobody does that. But yet the statistics show clearly that 50% of all married men will have an affair and 42% of all married women will have an affair. That's a lot of affairs. That's a whole lot of affairs. Nobody goes into it thinking that. But what happens is we don't realize we're in a war for our marriage and the enemy creeps in and causes and, and brings these situations into our life. And the next thing we know, we're all the way down this road of having an affair that we never intended on, never wanted. And then it gets to the place where you feel like it's almost too late. And it happens all the time. It's because of the enemy, guys. He's fighting against you, whether you realize it or not. So be aware of it. Be aware of his schemes. Be aware of what he's doing so that we can stand against him and fight against him and have a great marriage. Okay, then the third thing, the third key to a great marriage is the concept of contract versus covenant. Now we actually talk about this in the couple's encounter more in depth, but I want to hit on it today. You know, God takes covenant very seriously, very, very seriously. When he made a covenant with Abraham, you know, when he, we made his initial covenant with him and said, you know, I'm gonna bless your people. You know, he had Abraham take these animals and he split them in half and, and God went through the animals when he made this covenant. And he said, this is a covenant that will last from generations. And what's crazy about that covenant that God made with, with Abraham, that covenant is still intact today. That was 6,000 years ago. It is still intact today. God has still had his blessing on the descendants of Abraham. Israel is this tiny little place in the middle of the, the Middle East and everyone around them is much bigger and much more powerful, so to speak, and wants to destroy them, but can't touch them. And you tell me God's blessing isn't on that, that he hasn't honored his covenant with them. And that's the same thing he sees in marriage. He sees marriage as a covenant. It's talk, that, that's how we are to look at our marriage and not a contract. You know, the world calls marriage a contract. You have this piece of paper you sign and we do it too. I mean, we wanna honor the laws of, our, of the state and uh, so we signed this contract, you know, we send it off and, and we're married and that's all fine and good. But that's, to me personally, I don't care what the state says. I, I wanna know what God says, how he sees marriage. And God sees it as a covenant that it's something that's never to be broken. Never, ever to be broken. And I, I think that's so much, that's so much of the, the issue with our society, even in the church, is that we see marriage more like a contract. Like, eh, if it doesn't work out, we're just, you know, we'll get a divorce. I don't really want to, but I just don't see any other option. And, uh, and it just kind of becomes this thing where we're just a little bit too flippant with it. And, uh, you know, Pastor Bowen talks about how him and, when him and Ms. Faye got married, they, they said they would never even say the D word. It wasn't on the table, you know? Now he said that, you know, murder was a consideration a few times, but never divorce. And, uh, and Joy and I said the same thing when we got married, not the murder part. We said the, the no divorce part. 
We said, we won't talk about it. It's not on the table. It's not even an option. And when you have that mindset that we're in covenant together and this is till we die, then, then the divorce, that, that subject's not even on the table. Like it's never even come up with us, no matter how many times we've disagreed or had issues or, I mean, we've gone through seasons where we just weren't connecting real well. We're like, what's going on? You know, something's up here. I mean, the idea of like, well, maybe we should just, you know, maybe we're just not compatible. It never, it's not even something that would come across my lips or hers. And, and that's the way God sees it. And we need to see it that way because there's, because there's a few things that, that it does for us. One is that uh, it gives us security in our marriage. You know, the difference between a contract and a covenant is the difference between fear and security. And I know guys, I'm jumping down here a little bit, tech team, sorry about that. But uh, you know, in a contract, there's fear that, hey, if I break this contract, uh, I could be in trouble. You know, when we sign a contract, we read over it because we, we know that like if we break it, these people, the other per party in the contract could take me to court and they can, they can wipe me out because I'm the one that broke the contract. So there's that fear there that I have to adhere to this contract. I've got to stay in these parameters because if I don't, I'm, I'm hosed. Whereas in covenant, there's safety there because you know, okay, you know, I'm not going to intentionally mess up, but if I do mess up, I believe that my wife will stay with me and she'll forgive me and we'll be able to work through this together because we're in covenant together. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it means we're going to work through our, situa- our issues. And another difference is, is the fact that a contract is limited time and a covenant is till death. You know, all contracts are, are set up where it's, it's for a season for the most part. You know, you have a contract with your phone company. Actually, they're getting away with it from those now, but used to you have a contract with your, co- your phone company and how long you're gonna be with them. If you leave them early, you know, they're gonna make you have penalties and all that, but it's, set, it's for a set season. Whereas covenant is for, till death, till death do us part. We don't have to worry about the timeline. We don't have to worry about renewing it. You know, it, a covenant is a covenant for life. And then the other thing was uh, the difference between getting and giving. In a contract, we're always looking to see what we get out of it. If I'm gonna read a contract, I'm wanting to see what I get because that's why I'm doing the contract. I wouldn't do a contract if I was just giving him something. But if I'm getting something, that's when I do a contract and I wanna see what I'm getting. But in a covenant, it's about giving. It's about laying down your life for that other person. Your life is not your own anymore. You're laying down your life. You're saying, my life isn't my own. I give my life to you. That's my covenant with you is to give it to you. And if we have that attitude, we have that perspective, we can have a great marriage because there's safety in the idea of covenant over contract. Uh, I'm gonna ask the praise team to come as I finish up. I know it's 1230. If you guys just give me about three more minutes, we'll be done. Uh, I I wanna close. You guys can actually stand with me if you would, please, as we close. It's very interesting uh, in the polls where they, where they pull married people or they pull people and talk about divorce, you know, who's been divorced, who hasn't, and they get these statistics, you know, 50% of all divorces or all, all, all marriages end in divorce. There was a one statistic that really jumps out and it said, they asked people, uh, married people, how many of them pray together as a married couple, like regularly pray together. And of the people that said they regularly pray together in this poll, the divorce rate was less than 8%. That's a big deal. That is, that, that is phenomenal. I, and I'm not saying it's just as simple as if you just pray together, everything will just work out for you. But there's a, heart, there's a heart attitude that comes with that when we're willing to devote ourselves to praying together and to really seeking the Lord together in our marriage. Being a Christian, being two Christians coming together in marriage doesn't mean much unless we're gonna bring Jesus into that marriage, amen? amen? We have to bring him in. We have to continue to seek him. 
that verse that I read in, in Matthew where he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, these other things will be added to you. That applies to marriage too. You have to continue to seek him in the marriage. You may seek him for the spouse, but then when you get into that marriage relationship, you have to continue to seek him. Because if we don't, we're two separate people and we can't become one if we're not continually seeking him because my flesh doesn't want to become one. I want, I want her to come my way, of course. You know, I want her to like all the stuff I like and do what I want, but my flesh doesn't necessarily want to do everything she wants. You might at first, but that wears off after a while, after the honeymoon phase, right? So we have to continue to seek God and bring him into the center of that marriage so that he can, and he will make our marriage stronger and he will, he will bless it. We'll have the favor of God on that marriage. So I'm gonna ask the, the prayer leaders to come up. We're gonna pray for a minute. If any of you need prayer for anything today, please feel free to come up. If it's something physical, you, you may need physical healing or wanna stand in for somebody that does need physical healing. Maybe you have a financial situation, a job. Uh, you just, you wanna get saved today. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. Today is a perfect day to do it. There'd be no better time than to do it. I would challenge you today, do not leave this place, please. Do not leave this place today without giving your heart to Jesus because we're not promised anything after this, after today. And he's the best decision you'll ever make. So, so you can come and, and pray with them. I, but I, I would like to just, I'd like to pray over the congregation today for all the marriages that are here. If, if, you want, if you want me to pray over you specifically, you can come to the center here. I wanna pray for the marriages, for the single people that just need, uh, that, that just want to, to be able to be content during this time and to, to be able to thrive in their singleness. And if you wanna thrive in your marriage, you know, I'm not saying your marriage is bad. You'll need to come up just if your marriage is bad. Maybe your marriage is really good but you just wanna recommit it to the Lord and you wanna to commit to thriving in your marriage together. So, so feel free to come up now and I'm gonna, we're gonna pray in a minute. Hallelujah.